1 Corinthians chapter 8. Would you uh, remember to pray for Ellen this week? Uh, you can pray that the new round of therapy will go well for her, and that God's grace will sustain her. Appreciate that. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Are you like me when it comes to reading the Bible? Uh, I'll come to a sentence and immediately my attention drops off. It's like, I don't really care about this. Or I'm, I, I'm not interested. Uh, for example, the sons of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael, these are their genealogies. <laughs> the firstborn, Ishmael, Nebaioth, Kedar, Adbel, Mibsam, and the list goes on. My attention drops off. Uh, it's still scripture. I accept that. It just doesn't interest me. Uh, though sometimes I do struggle to find uh, some meaning in the genealogies. Okay, this is what happens when I read this first line in 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols. I check out. Um, I've never done this, to my knowledge. I've never eaten food offered to an idol. Um, I'm not even tempted to eat food offered to an idol. And I've never even thought about it. Like, huh, would I eat food offered to an idol? Um, I don't even know of any idols, uh, at least not the literal kind of scripture. So <clears throat> it would be easy just taking this first line, to skip the whole chapter and to move on. But that would be a mistake. I would lose very valuable insights that are in this chapter. This was a practical concern for the Corinthians. They did have idols in their city, and there were sacrifices offered to those idols and the meat from those sacrifices were available for sale and consumption uh, in the marketplace. It's not a cause of concern for us, however. Nevertheless, we do have our own situations that raise the same question. And people ask the question all the time. Is it all right for a Christian to do yoga. Is it all right for a Christian to cheat on their income tax? Um, is it all right for a Christian to dance? And my mom would reply with a sound, no. <laughs> if you dance, other things happen, and the next thing you know, uh, you're in hell dancing. <clears throat> so, how Paul addresses this situation in Corinth is relevant to how we will sometimes answer these questions. 
And, uh, and the answer may be something like, yes, it's all right, but it's not the healthiest way to live, or it's, it's not best for other people. Now, although what Paul has to say about this is valuable, it's not going to be our focus today. So though we're in this chapter and we're aware of these issues, we're not going to focus on them or how he deals with them. You can just read that on your own and, and get it. It's pretty straightforward. But we're listening to Paul for enlightenment to our own spiritual development. So we're going underneath the text. Uh, We're looking at some of the assumptions that Paul has that allows him to to say what he says within the text. Uh, For instance... Uh, we're looking for the answer to the question, what do we need in our lives in order to know God experientially? Paul, in the book of Ephesians, says that he's praying for them that they would know God. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul says that we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God. So so how that comes to us is invisible. And, And what we're doing on Sunday mornings is looking at Paul's primer on things unseen. And God is unseen and how we know God comes to us through unseen means, spirit, wisdom, and revelation. What do we need in order to get to know our true selves? My aware self. Well, again, in Ephesians chapter 1, the very next verse, he says that we need to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Further on in Ephesians, he says you need to put off your old self and put on the new self. All the way through 1 Corinthians, and we're halfway through now today, uh, we have been seeing that there is a larger reality than the world we inhabit. A larger reality than our everyday experience of our four-dimensional universe. And our universe, its existence, rests on that reality that's larger than it. What we need is a new perception of reality, a new consciousness of what really matters, a new awareness. And we can have this. That's what Paul's saying. He's encouraging us and he's leading us this direction. Our eyes can be open. While I'm talking to you right now, it's possible for you to take a step back and to be aware of yourself listening to me to be aware 
of the fact that I'm talking and saying things. And you can be in that self-aware state and hear every word I say and understand everything I say. Though you don't have to focus on everything I say. You can just be aware. You're sitting here now. This, oh, I, I, I wish I knew the perfect exercise to, to, to help you fall into this. Because this is really how, how it happens. We fall into it. I have more to say about this. But what Nancy said about holding still, holding on to that stillness, holding on to that awareness, we really want to do this. So what does Paul want us to discover now here in, in chapter 8? What have we missed? What do we need to see? Well, Paul alerts us to the illusion of knowledge, and he frees us from that illusion. Knowledge is a key, a key theme in this chapter. Um, the word know or knowledge in English occurs nine times in 13 verses. Um, it's not always the same Greek word. There are actually two primary Greek words. One here means to perceive, and the other means to learn, or something that we have learned. Paul himself had received an advanced education in the Old Testament scriptures. He learned from one of the best, uh, a well-known figure uh, in, in Jerusalem, who is known historically from Josephus even to this day, uh, Gamaliel. And Paul knew the value of the education that he received. And Paul continued to vigorously study. Once he met Jesus, he tells us in Galatians that he went into the desert and for 14 years he concentrated on, on looking for Jesus in the Hebrew scriptures and coming to a better understanding of the Messiah through what the scriptures said. I think that it's possible that in the monasteries that developed uh, three centuries later, that uh, they followed Paul's example, that the monks went into the desert like Paul, and as a focus of their life in the desert, they devoted themselves to study. Uh, the monks were supposed to have a general knowledge of all of Scripture and a special knowledge of the Gospels and the Psalms. And uh, according to the early rule of uh, the most monastic orders, uh, they were reading the Psalms every day. In fact, reading all the way through all of the Psalms every week. They also had to know something about the way of life in the monastery and uh, how to survive in its remote wilderness areas. They learned from the teaching of their abbots and elders the young monks who were recent arrivals and had recently taken vows were taught by the older monks. 
And I think that all of them also at times had opportunity to listen to the conversations of the most enlightened, the wisest of uh, the monks in their order. There is great value in having this kind of foundational knowledge in scripture. But here, Paul gives us a different perspective of knowledge. And he talks about the, its relative value. Do you remember what he already said about the wisdom of God? That it is nonsense to the world. That it's, it's foolishness to the Greeks. Um, and here he warns that knowledge for its own sake puffs up. He says, and this is a loose translation, he says, we perceive that all of us have learned some things. But that kind of knowledge puffs up. I think we've all known people like this, people who were uh, puffed up by their knowledge, uh, who had an inflated ego, as it were. Um, I'm thinking of oh, philosophy majors in universities and just how they, they walk around uh, so superior to everyone else. Uh, I had a philosophy professor one time in the one course I took in college. <laughs> so if that sounds like, wow, you had a philosophy professor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who, uh, who made the statement that he thought everyone in the nation should be forced to take a course in logic. And that's because we're all so unreasonable and illogical and foolish. But if we were forced to take a course in logic, uh, we'd learn how to argue on Facebook <laughs> yeah, without getting all emotional because we'd be so much above that. Anyway, uh, arrogance undermines spiritual development. And to the extent that thinking I'm knowledgeable uh, gives me some kind of attitude, that's ruining my spiritual life. I have a strong negative reaction to spiritual conceit. Uh, other types of conceit, not so bad. Um, if you've got it, flaunt it. But, but spiritual conceit, um, if, I, if I discern it, I just want to run away. I just want to get far from it. Uh, to God, that kind of person, Isaiah says, is a smoke in his nostrils. Uh, the kind of person who says, keep to yourself. Do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. And that's where we get that holier-than-thou phrase. Paul exposes the truth about knowledge in verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know it as he ought to know. Isn't that, isn't that so? I mean, if you get really engaged in studying astronomy... You don't go very far before you realize 
you don't know anything about astronomy. If you get engaged in studying neuroanatomy, you don't go very far before you realize you don't know anything about the brain and the nervous system. If you think you know something about computers and you begin to study computer technology or computer languages, you realize how little you know. Richard Feynman, uh, a theoretical uh, physicist back in the day, uh, who made significant discoveries, said, I think it is safe to say that no one understands quantum physics. Do not keep saying to yourself, if you can possibly avoid it, but how can it be like that? Because you will go down the drain into the, a blind alley from which nobody has yet escaped. Nobody knows how it can be like that. No one knows how light can be both wave and particle. No one knows how one electron can be in two different places at the same time. He says, I'm smart enough to know that I am dumb. <laughs> Isn't that great? You have to be really smart to know that you're dumb. Now, this is something that we learn from Jesus, that spiritual development dissolves the ego. It's like a flame, and the ego is flammable. Jesus tells us, well, Jesus himself, the greatest of all, became the servant of all. And he tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And, and I think he's talking about two different selves. If you try to, to save this self that's been in this world and brainwashed by it, you're going to... You're going to lose it, and you're going to lose your true self, your aware self, your spirit self. But if you, if you lose, if you can let go of your life as you understand it in this world and connect with God, you'll find who you really are. In, in my own experience, when I'm in prayer in the mornings, and I repeat to myself, here, now, until in my focused attention, I'm aware of my thinking self. I'm not into the contents of my thoughts. Rather, I am the thinker. I'm the feeler. I am the awareness of my thoughts and feelings. When I move back into that place of my aware self, it opens up to an awareness of all at once and an awareness of God. In other words, it's not a narrowed attention span. It's, it's like the boundaries collapse it's not like I know everything that's going on in the universe, but I'm aware. 
that there is an entire universe of things going on. But more importantly, I become aware of God's presence here and now. The, and that moment expands into eternity, the eternal now. And that moment can be all the time. Okay, so how I understand this is that we have a sense of, of who we are, a person in this world trying to make it, trying to survive. And a lot of times we, we have to move from here to there. That might mean driving in traffic. It might mean standing in line. And so we have these intentions that drive us. We have these motivations that drive us. We have these needs that drive us. We have these drives that drive us. We have all our personal traits all of our history, all of our fears, and all of our hopes. But that is the psychological self. That's a self that's been you know, developed over the years since birth. It's not the true self. If I say, well, I myself, I think I know what I'm talking about. But I'm, I'm really talking about a construct, a psychological construct. I'm talking about this person conditioned by this world for this world. Our true self is spirit. Not our thoughts, not our conditioning, our aware self. And we have to step away from the psychological self to experience or to, to be the aware self. At first, this comes in flashes. It's just, you know, it's just brief. It's like, oh, I'm aware. Oh, wait, I lost it. <laughs> because now I'm thinking about awareness uh, rather than just being aware. Uh, so it, it, it feels tricky. It's like, how do I hang on to this? And I want to say this so that we don't get frustrated. I don't think that we will ever be able to sustain awareness of our aware self continuously. I think we're supposed to shoot for that, you know, to, to always, even if, if we have to be our psychological self to get things done, you know, to clean the house, to, to uh, meet deadlines, uh, the aware self can always be there in the background um, but we lose it. And I don't think we can help it. Our nervous system won't allow us to live. God didn't make us that way, that we can necessarily be in the aware self all the time. We still have to live in this world, and it demands that kind of concentration that our psychological self can, can give. This is the old self and the new self. This is the, the soul that we lose so that we can gain uh, the other soul. And, uh, and the, the psychological self performs tasks that are required, that require a certain kind of thinking and acting. And that's why, I think, that's why Jesus said that we have to take up our cross 
daily. Matthew doesn't add that adverb, but Luke does. We have to take up our cross daily. We have to come back to this again and again. We have to come back to the aware self again and again because we cannot just hold that stillness all the time. And when we realize that it's slipped, we go back to that still place. We hear the be still, and then the hold still, then it goes away and we wake up, and like the prodigal, we return home again. But the homecoming is always blessed. We're always welcomed by God. There, there, there are hugs and kisses on the neck and celebration every time we come back. So don't get frustrated that it slips away and you have to recover it because the homecoming is always special. We revisit our aware self every day and its larger reality, and that's where we encounter God. That's where we pray. That's where we worship. Um, that's where we receive intuitive insight. Now, if knowledge by itself is not our guide through the, the spiritual map, then what? Well, Paul says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Uh, an inflated self or an inflated ministry is all air. It's propped up by unfulfilled promises. A self or a ministry that is built up is solid. And love builds up. So we can be a community of arrogant know-it-alls full of air, or we can be a community of love building each other up and being built up with each other. Love is the goal of the life of the spirit. You know, where, where are we going with this? To a greater love. A, a broader love, a deeper love, a more intense love. For me, just the, the terminology of mystical Christianity is fascinating and exciting. I want to explore it. And there's a multitude of authors who want to teach us all about it. But the question I need to ask myself at the end of every day is not what have I learned today, but whom have I loved today? Because without love, I'm nothing. By itself, knowledge cannot get us where we want to go. And, and where is that? Well, we know it's to love. Um, here, Paul says, the one who loves God is known by God. We want to get to the place where we're known by God, where God recognizes us as his children. Ah, she is mine. He is mine. He knows us. I've always been a little frightened by this, this word of Jesus 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, I got to do God's will. Then he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Imagine that. We want to be known by God. We want Jesus to say, I know you. The one who loves is known by God. The knowledge we get from biblical studies won't win that. It isn't a prize for the brightest or the most educated. It is the person who loves God, who's known by God. Religious knowledge without Christian love can be dangerous. Uh, Paul says here in verse 11, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother or sister for whom Christ died. Oh, you see, you're so knowledgeable that you have this freedom, but in exercising your freedom, someone who is not as knowledgeable and who is maybe hypersensitive sees your freedom and perhaps it, it causes them to do something that in their own mind corrupts them. We, we, ne- we really need to grasp the difference between knowing the truth and living in the reality of that truth. Oh, yeah, I know this. Yeah, but do you live it? The difference between the idea of goodness and the lived experience of goodness. Spiritual knowing isn't the same as biblical knowledge. It isn't the same as theological knowledge. It's of a different order. David Marshall said, this is more than a theological doctrine. It is a living awareness available to everyone. Christian theology is practical and not theoretical. Theology is best understood as a description of our experience of God. To say that God is omnipresent is not just saying something about the nature of God, it said something about our experience of God. It describes my experience of God. I love that line that theology is not practical or theoretical, but theology is a description of our experience of God. All right, so Paul turns our world upside down. One of the chief values of our American culture is the freedom to assert our rights because we've all been endowed with these inalienable rights. 
Uh, and so we know our rights, and at times we insist on exercising them. And Paul says, your rights cannot always determine your behavior. There are even millions of Christians who have a hard time with that. I don't have to do this, and I don't have to have that. But maybe it's not about you this time. In verse 9, Paul says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak or an offense to the weak. We can forego our rights in the service of others. And that's what Paul concludes at the end of this chapter. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I'll, I'll, be a, I'll be vegan. I'll be paleo if I have to. I will never eat meat. And he's talking about the meat offered to idol all the associations that that had. But, but the point is, he says, I'm willing to forego meat for the rest of my life. I'm willing to forego whatever it is where I could assert my right. Later on, he'll talk about other apostles and, and how some of them were married and that their wives traveled with him. And he says, well, am I not an apostle and don't I have the same right? But again, he'll say, but I don't exercise that right. Because of the call that was on his life, he needed to move in another way. What happens if we do forego our rights on behalf of someone else and our hearts are sincere? Now, by what I mean by a sincere heart is we're doing it for the sake of doing it. We almost always have ulterior motives I'm going to give money to this organization, this charitable organization that's feeding the homeless or caring for refugees in another country, and I'm going to let people know that I'm doing this. I'm going to post it on social media, or I'm, going to, I'm just going to let it slip. Oh, yes, when I was making out my check to someone. Um, there's an ulterior motive there that I want people to think, I'm a good person, I'm a generous person, I'm a charitable person, I'm a good Christian. I want whatever status I imagine that will give me. And, you know, it's, it's when we're in the aware self that our true motives come to the surface. I find that when I draw close to God, that his spirit will bust me all the time. And I realize, you know, um, I didn't have the right intent when I did this. I did not have the right motivation. Um, I'm letting things slip. What happens if we, if we really serve someone else 
just for the sake of serving that person. Not for a thank you, not for a reciprocation. Well, it can become for us an experience of enlightenment. The light can shine in that moment. The awareness can be more real to us. We can be more aware of our aware self. It's a leap from the psychological self to the spirit self. We are taking up our cross. We're losing the false self to gain the true self. Can Can you grasp that? More than once, someone has, has asked me to visit someone in the hospital, and I've said, um, I don't have time in my schedule this week. I'll get to it next week. In the meantime, why don't you go visit them? I said, well, I, you know, I, I've never done that. And I said, just, you know, you, you, have, you have enough. Go. And afterwards, when they report their experience, they they almost feel guilty or do feel guilty. Say, I don't know if it's supposed to be like this, but I think I was blessed more than the person I went to bless. Why? Do you know why? Can you, can you describe in what way you were blessed? Can you even put words to it? Probably not. Because it belongs to this larger reality, this other, it's a connection that you had with this person that was not visible and it wasn't DNA and it wasn't because you, you were both Republicans or you were both Democrats. It, it had nothing to do with the issues of this life and everything to do with the kingdom of God. And you stepped into the kingdom of God. We practice contemplative prayer to nurture the aware self. We have other practices too. We have the spiritual reading of scripture, which we do on uh, Wednesday afternoons and Wednesday evenings, our Lectio Divina. And and you're welcome to join. We we do it by Zoom so you can be anywhere. Uh, but, But we have other practices as well. And... Service to another person is part of our practice. It's what the aware self does when taking up the cross, when becoming a servant of all. It frees us from self, from the need to exert our rights, and allows us to find our connection to others in a larger reality. Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So now he's not defining greatness in the terms it's defined on the football field or in the, the career um, food chain. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Would you stand, please? May the Lord our God help us to understand deep in our hearts that what we have sought through making a name for ourselves, through climbing the ladder, through trying to meet all of our needs and build up a surplus, that what we have sought has not brought us what we truly desire and need in the deepest parts of our being. And that what we want is already here and already ours. We need to wake up to it. May the Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.